uh, a lay person came to a certain monastery and invited uh, and wanted to invite one monk to give uh, dana in his house. Since there were many monks, he approached the head monk and asked him to assign a monk to take with him. So he named the monk. He just picked this monk and uh, they were walking. On the way, they had to walk um, on a rice field. There was a, a ditch which was uh, wide and shallow. Ordinarily, anybody has to climb down and walk over the ditch since it is shallow and white. This monk, instead of uh, climbing down and walking over, he jumped over it. Then this man walking behind him thought, ah, I made a mistake. I picked the wrong monk. <laughs> he behaves very in a very crazy way. This is not supposed to be climbed down uh, I mean jumped over but climbed down and walked over but he jumped over. Since I made this mistake I cannot send him back. I take him to my home. I will give him little food but not give any gift. Normally after food you know people give a gift also. A robe or towel or piece of soap or something like that. This man thought well uh, since he's not a good monk, I give a little food and uh, let him go without giving any gift. Then they came across another ditch, which was uh, deep and narrow, which is supposed to be crossed over by jumping. And <laughs> this monk climbed down and <laughs> walked over. <laughs> Different thought, uh, he is serious. He really must be crazy. <laughs> and not enlightened. So, he was very curious, however. He approached the monk and said, Bhante, pardon me, but uh, uh, I'd like to know why you did what you did. He said, Sir, if I jumped over this, I, you would not give me even my food. <laughs> By thereby you might acquire a lot of demerits. Uh, so this man felt so embarrassed <laughs> while walking with an arahant with, with supernatural powers. You know, he was able to read this man's thoughts. And um, still after that and all these things, he brought him back and approached the Buddha and uh, asked him, uh, why is this, uh, you know, very peculiar, unusual behavior of a monk? Then Buddha explained the reason that this monk has been a monkey in 500 lifetimes in the past. And this is monkey behavior. <laughs> Even after attainment of enlightenment, he continued to behave like a monkey. So, that kind of, uh, what you call, kilesa vasana, Buddha never had. He never displayed any weakness that uh, any other ordinary uh, people or even an arahant had.
This is the seventh difference. Are you writing down? Okay. Eight differences that Buddha uh, had a special knowledge called uh, Yatha Kammopaganyana. Yatha Kammopaganyana means he is the only one who was able to understand the nature of Kamma exactly as it is. No one else can understand, explain, know precisely what Kamma is. We all talk about Kamma. We know certain, about, certain things about Kamma. Some explanation of the theory of Kamma. But Buddha had such a, a profound, complete, knowledge of karma, that when he, when somebody passes away, if Buddha wanted to know uh, where this person would be reborn and what karma brings him to that particular state of birth and so forth, he would know everything about that state. Yatha karma upagana jnana, yatha karma upagana, meaning uh, knowledge of knowing beings dying according to their karma and taking free birth. The ninth difference is Maha Karuna Samapatti Jnana. Maha Karuna Samapatti means Karuna, as you all know, is uh, compassion. Mahakaruna means great compassion. Uh, in meditation, among uh, 40 uh, subjects of meditation, uh, karuna is one of them. And that comes under the category of uh, uh, appa, uh, what do you call, uh, 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 Appamana, meaning um, the objects of compassion are innumerable, countless. And therefore it is extremely difficult for someone to gain uh, jhanas by focusing on this variety of beings and therefore attaining the uh, jhana by using uh, compassion is extremely difficult, almost impossible for an average person. But Buddha had attained it. Buddha attained it and used it every day. Once a day, in early in the morning, he would uh, survey the world to see uh, whom should he help that particular day? And uh, when he saw uh, a being who deserved uh, his uh, help, uh, he would go there and help the person. And that particular knowledge is called Maha Karuna, that, that particular attainment is called Maha Karuna Samapatti. Attainment of the great compassionate state of jhana. 
that is the ninth difference. Uh, there are some other differences. You may not find all of them in one particular place. You got to read a lot and uh, you know do some research to find out these uh, differences in various texts, Pali uh, texts. One knowledge is called Chatu Vesa Rajanyana. Chatu Vesa Rajya means for uh, skillful knowledge. Visarada means uh, uh, knowledge, uh, special uh, knowledge. <coughs> there are uh, four types of uh, uh, classes that time in India, four classes. They are called four castes, uh, Brahmana, Kshatriya, Shudra and Vaishya, you know, priest class, uh, uh, ruling class and uh, merchant class and uh, uh, labor class. I mean, I mean, to be, to oversimplify the terms, but it is much more than that. Anyway, when Buddha approached any of these classes, he would uh, uh, be exactly one like them. When he approached the Brahmin class, he can behave exactly like a Brahmin. His appearance, his conversations, uh, his knowledge of uh, Sanskrit and um, so forth. And nobody can, uh, of course, uh, distinguish him from any other Brahmin. So is when he approached uh, 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 Kshatriya, a uh, ruling class, of course it, was, it, would have, it would have been much easier for him because he came from a ruling class, uh, he would behave exactly like one of them. That kind of adaptability to the situation, nobody else had except the Buddha. No Arahant could uh, imitate that uh, behavior. And that is why sometimes uh, when Buddha appeared in a crowd, people don't know, didn't know him. He would simply sit with the people and uh, behave like anybody else. And the other difference is this is this we can find in Viganikaya. Uh, uh, it is called Chatusu Jnana Sampayutta Mahakriya Chittesu Jnana. That is is very difficult to explain without some knowledge of uh, Abhidhamma. 
in uh, Abhidhamma there are uh, various categories of uh, states of consciousness. In, um, among them there are certain uh, consciousness, states of consciousness which are called Kriyachitta. Kriyachitta means uh, uh, consciousness which uh, uh, don't have any karmic consequences. They just limit only to the action, nothing beyond that. And that type of, that uh, states of uh, consciousness is all Kriyachitta. And uh, Buddha's uh, knowledge of this Kriyachitta is uh, a perfect and nobody else, no Arahant, can have that state of consciousness. That may be the other difference, I don't remember the number, whatever the number may be, that is the other difference between the Buddha and Arahant. Uh, and the other difference is that uh, uh, the knowledge of uh, uh, five uh, niyamas, five niyama, niyama means uh, law, norm, there are five. Perhaps uh, in the afternoon when I talk about Dhamma I can explain a little more about them. Uh, this, uh, for this purpose, I just mentioned them. They are called Kamma, Niyama, Chitta. I didn't write Niyama here. Niyama, Chitta, Niyama. You can add Niyama after that. Dhamma Niyama, Uttu Niyama, Then Bijanyama. Uh, Niyama means uh, uh, the law, nature, or Dhamma. Law of Kamma is called Kamma Niyama. Law of Chitta, mind, the way how the mind operates, psychology. Uh, it has its own law, uh, that is called Chittanyama. Dhammanyama means the, the law of the law, law of the Dhamma, the nature of Dhamma. Putunyama is uh, the order of physical organic order of plants, trees, uh, biology uh, and so forth. Uh, zoology uh, and so forth. And uh, I'm sorry, Utuniyama means I'm sorry, Utuniyama means uh, the 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 law of inorganic inorganic order, just like weather, the climate, the temperature, and uh, wind patterns and so forth. They have their own laws. Uh, and the Bijaniyama is the the knowledge of uh, 
physical organic order uh, and Buddha had a perfect understanding of these five laws and no arahant had it. When he was explaining these, these, these five things he said uh, if somebody were to think of these five uh, orders or laws and try to understand, the, understand them fully, perfectly, that person may go crazy because they are so complex, so complicated, so profound that nobody except uh, Buddha can understand them. Now these are some differences between the Buddha and Arahant. Now I came to Samma Sambuddha, third word, fourth word, Bhagava, Arahant, Samma Sambuddha, third word. There are nine words to explain. Uh, I think <laughs> other six words I will uh, suspend uh, for the time being and allow you to ask me questions. I'm also a little tired, I will sit down. So you may ask me questions and after ask, asking questions, if, you, if I still have time, I will explain the other uh, six terms. Okay? Of the Buddha's teaching is that he knew you know, she was about to teach each individual to, to help them along their path and that what we've gotten from his teachings is a conglomeration of all the teachings and uh, so it's kind of a a mystery to me, you know, which teachings resonate, you know, how to find a teaching that resonates with you, with, with myself, um, and, fo and follow that, because all the, all the teachings, it gets, you know, it gets confusing. <laughs> you know, that, you know, you'll have the, the Noble Eightfold Path, and then there'll be another teaching that, you know, maybe just be Vipassana, you know, there's, there's several things. There's several things to follow and what to concentrate on, and it's hard to concentrate on all of it. Surely, it is very difficult to concentrate all of them, as the Buddha said. If we know the basic, then uh, other things we can uh, leave aside as a peripheral teaching, uh, which may not be that uh, necessary. All we have to know is the basic. The basic, as he repeatedly said over and over again, are the four noble truths, which includes noble eightfold path and so forth. In the afternoon when I talk about Dhamma, I will explain a little bit about uh, the, the text and so forth a little bit. From that you we may get some uh, rough idea about how much uh, complexity is in the, in the uh, Dhamma. But uh, the, the clearest uh, part of the Dhamma is the Noble Eightfold Path. And that resonates every individual, everybody. No one is, you know, precluded from that. And therefore that is what we have to grasp and uh, look it uh, within ourselves. 
no matter what else, whether Mahayana, Theravada, Tibetan, Japanese, whatever other uh, teachings we all uh, learn out of curiosity, you know, just to expand our knowledge, we really learn all these things. Out of all of them, only thing we have to uh, extract and uh, be very uh, thorough with is uh, Noble Eightfold, I mean Four Noble Truth. It doesn't matter whether we call Noble Eightfold Path or Four Noble Truth, both the same, because in the Noble Eightfold Path you can find Four Noble Truth, and the Four Noble Truth you can find Noble Eightfold Path. So that is what Buddha taught, uh, and that is what he admitted that he taught. Question of omniscience. Wondering, <clears throat> you explained it as saying, "Well, no one can know everything in its detail and its lawfulness about the universe." But the Buddha had the capacity to see something, in particular with utmost clarity. Did that also mean that he realized the limits of his powers of knowing, being a human being? Oh, yes. Yes. Actually, if one uh, knows one's limit, that knowledge itself is a wonderful knowledge. Because that knowledge allows him to know uh, that uh, there is no ignorance. Only when, he, when someone when someone has ignorance, one would uh, pretend or assume to know everything, and may may think that there is no limit. But if one knows the limit. Uh, that itself is a wonderful knowledge. And, and is on the question of limits and omniscience, um, I've understood as being, I think you mentioned that it's more this, the limit of omniscience was that he couldn't know everything all the time, but he could know what he put his mind on. It's like if he attended to a certain area or subject that that knowledge would arise in him. But am I right in thinking that it wasn't actually expressed what his his limits of that application were? So he he didn't he wasn't specific within the limit about what his limits were beyond that capacity to know what he put his mind on. He didn't say, Well I can do it I can do it up to this point and I can't do it there. Am I right in that? You or, know, his um uh, omniscience or his uh, wisdom is uh, limited to four things, four noble truths. That means limited to realize fully well, completely, hundred percent of the of each of these truths, and that realization is the only thing anybody 
ought to know in order to liberate oneself from samsara. That is it. That is enough. Yes, that's what he taught. Right. But when he also says that he, he knew much more, like he, there's the thing about the leaves in the hand compared to the leaves in the forest, and what he'd known was the leaves in the forest, but what he taught was simply like the leaves in his hand, mm-hmm. because it wasn't relevant. Mm-hmm. So he only taught from compassion what was necessary to, to free people from suffering. But he, he wasn't, as I understand it, specific about the limits. He, he didn't really go into details about what he'd known in the forest in that he didn't talk about, did he? He wasn't specific about that. Right. He left that as... He didn't clarify what he'd known but didn't talk about. Is that right? That's how I understand it. He did not clarify. No, but yes, he didn't make it clear what his limits were, in effect, in that right. sense. Yeah. So, um, he did not say, of course, uh, this is my limit, this is uh, beyond my knowledge and so forth. He did not say that. But... Uh, uh, by implication of uh, omniscience of a human being, we have to assume that uh, one should know how far the knowledge can go. And that is, if one knows how far, that very word how far means a limit. And he, know, he knew that. Uh, for instance, uh, when he wanted to go back to the future, back to the past, he would go up to a certain maybe eons and eons and then he would stop there and be going beyond that is unnecessary and that is, his, that is the limit of the past. Mm. For the future also he might go some distance and uh, uh, then conclude by those two limits that the future will be like this, past was like that and um, that is the limit. And that is why I think in one point uh, he said um, if one were to go to look into the, the, the beginning of the universe, he said it is indiscernible. I think, didn't he say 91 aeons was what he remembered? Huh? I believe he said that he, he had taken his mind back 91 aeons. 91, 91 aeons. aeons? I think so. Uh-huh. And this, he, he expressed that that was, that was as much as any, he'd done, that was further than any other beings had done. And as I understood it, it was, it was to satisfy that, that you always, see, it was always an Ichidukha Anatta. Uh-huh. And by the time you've done 91 aeons, you see that that's the pattern. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. That's why? That's yeah. the pattern, you that's know. Ninety-one eons is it just actually? Although we have that figure, it's totally incomprehensible, vast vastness. But because he's established that this was the case for ninety-one eons, that that was the gist of it. You know, that was that was the way it was. Uh, he, um, I'm sorry, I don't know where you get got that figure. Neither do I, but I believe I read it. Uh, but when, in my <laughs> reading... 20 years ago, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in my reading, uh, um, when he wanted to mention certain things um, in, in, uh, in definite terms, he would say, Asankheya Appameya. Asankheya means incalculable. Appameya means unlimitable. So, if he went as far as uh, 
maybe several millions kalpas in the to the in the, in the past and uh, would conclude uh, that is uh, infinite we cannot go to the beginning it is true i mean to find the beginning in the past is um, impossible so he said anamata goyam bhikkhu sansaru pubba koti nepanyaati avijjaya bhavatannaya he concluded he said the beginning is indiscernible because it is uh, it is uh, covered with uh, uh, greed and uh, ignorance although he had overcome greed and ignorance he did not say even after attainment of enlightenment oh i saw the beginning of the universe and he never said uh, i know how the universe comes to an end and when as far as these two extremes are concerned buddha has never expressed any definite uh, uh, beginning or end i think because of that i may be wrong i believe uh, uh, he expressed in other words the limit of uh, omniscience is and also he said what is most important is uh, the knowledge of the present moment uh, to see our uh, greed hatred and ignorance the degree of our defilements right now and we eliminated once we eliminated it none of these things is any of any importance to us and to that extent uh he i think is fully enlightened and uh, omniscient i say i because uh, if he if somebody can uh, show us a way to get out of this repetition of birth and death and cause of suffering and so forth that is all we need nothing else and other things uh, even if we know is not going to help us so probably uh, he didn't bother to know about other things that is not pertinent to our purpose <laughs> I don't know that is a type of hmm. um, question about what you've described in um meditation itself um you know and it has to do with the nature of, of knowing that um when you say that the buddha for instance um knew one's defilements both obvious and subtle and um also knew their potential i'm wondering if that kind of knowing is sort of similar to what happens in terms of meditation in the sense that it's not knowing or learning in the way that we know or learn but simply showing up you know simply sort of being there and being the receiver 
Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. As opposed to, um, it, I don't know if it's making any sense. That, well, gosh, hmm, um, that it's not, um, that if you just sort of present yourself, your being, without any um, expectations or... Presumptions. Yes. Okay, so that you're just there, so that you're really a receptacle for what actually is, so that um, his capacity to receive was limitless in a sense. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that it's a different kind of knowledge than, let's say, that we have to learn by reading a book or <clears throat> even getting communication, that this kind of learning is very different from the learning that, in a way, learning sort of takes place when one meditates. Mm -hmm. So it's a different kind of uh, knowing. Mm -hmm. Or is it? Well, sure, it is a different kind of knowing. In fact, uh, it's true that when we, uh, when someone uh, is able to, uh, we can say his compassion was illimitable, uh, in, in, in no limit. So no matter how many millions or trillions of beings, you know, uh, are there, his compassion was uh, the same for all of them. And no matter how much uh, difficulties, problems came to him from various different uh, directions, he would absorb all of them mm -hmm. uh, without reacting mm -hmm. to them, except uh, only when it is necessary he would uh, uh, say or do something to for the benefit of the of uh, certain beings, otherwise uh, uh, receiving things uh, all, all of various levels uh, would can be illimitable. Uh, and he, he knew that. Uh, that is one uh, particular uh, area of his uh, omniscience, of his, of his knowledge. Uh, but uh, unless he focused his mind on uh, certain things, uh, things did not reflect in his mind. In that respect, uh, his uh, uh, definition of omniscient is uh, different. Only when he focused his mind he knew whatever he wanted to know. Yeah, well, to use your example of electricity, for instance, mm. that um, electricity has always existed. It wasn't, in a way we sort of think that it existed when we discovered it. But it was really sort of being open to the understanding or receiving to the dynamic or the principles of what makes electricity or mm -hmm. what electricity is. Mm -hmm. So that kind of focusing, you know, and being there for that mm -hmm. informs one. Mm -hmm. 
Right. Uh, in the uh, Abhidham, what do you call this? Padisambhita Magga, when uh, Buddha's uh, omniscient uh, knowledge was uh, explaining, it says uh, whatever uh, human, divine, and any other being knew, know, and will know, uh, Buddha would know. Only if uh, he focused his mind on any specific things that any human being knew uh, or know or will know. If not, he would not know that. In that respect, he knew the limit. I, I would say that is a limit. Uh, if we say it is uh, illimitable uh, omniscience, Sometimes some people uh, ascribe to certain beings, so and so is, uh, you know, omniscient. And uh, that is very vague uh, description. So and so, sometimes if people say, so and so knows everything. Then you ask, uh, uh, what does he know? Then they say, so and so knows everything. Then tell me, what does he know? What specific thing he knows? They, what, they might say, well, so-and-so knows everything. <laughs> so that kind of uh, statement can go on and on and on without becoming very uh, precise. And Buddha's omniscient is not uh, like that. He, his was very precise. Uh, and. Moreover, it is uh, very uh, pragmatic, very, very important, right? but it's practical. Uh, and therefore he knows what is exactly necessary and what is absolutely not necessary. And that is a limit. When we use the word limit, it also has many meanings. Limit in what sense? Uh, of course, we are not uh, getting into epistemological, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, discussion, but it has uh, very meaningful uh, uh, very meaningful sense in the word uh, omniscience. Yes. As you're speaking, I'm thinking, um, for me to hear the word limit, or my own, you know, world, to know limit is to be on the edge, to be right at that place where there's truth. Mm -hmm. If I know what's, what I know, and I know what I don't know, mm -hmm. and there's an honesty there, in terms of a self, or self in the world, right. then, then it's like freedom, because I'm right at that place where the next mm -hmm. space is knowing, by knowing my limitation, my yes. honesty. He, that is very true. In the Dhammapada he made a very beautiful statement. And that straight, uh, statement, of course, uh, can apply even to the Buddha. He made the statement, the general statement, 
that is yo balo manyati balyan pandito apitenso balo cha panditamani seve balo ti uchati meaning if uh, uh, a fool fool does not mean that uh, you know utterly stupid fool means in the buddhist sense one who does not know the truth he said if a fool knows that he is a fool for that very reason he is a wise person <laughs> because he knows his limit on the other hand if a fool does not know that he is a fool for that very reason he is a fool uh, for a that very famous uh, analogy perhaps you might have had in mind when you asked that when you said that uh, he taught what is necessary and did not what is not necessary uh, in uh, sinsapa uh, one uh, incident it is uh, in sangyut nikai uh, you know this taking handful of leaves into his hand uh, he asked monks uh, who were following him monks uh, which is more the leaves in my hand or the leaves in the in this large large vast forest monks said of course the leaves in the large uh, forest is much more than what you have in your hand similarly buddha said uh, uh, what i taught is like these leaves in my hand and what i have not taught is like the leaves in the jungle and he, there he was able to make the distinction between uh, what is necessary and what is not necessary eh? i have a question coming from that because it, it's it's very interesting because that's like you said um, what i have not taught is like the leaves in the forest mm-hmm. now as i recall it in the translation in english that i read it said what i have known is like the leaves in the forest and there's quite a difference between what i have not taught and what i have known can do you know the pali to know i'd be interested to know what is the most accurate expression yes. there because that's where my um i had assumptions based on that that english expression in pali um Pali, tra- Pali word is not what I have known, but what I have taught. And, w- and what I have not taught. But it doesn't imply known. No, no, he didn't say known. Oh, that's, he said yeah, that's, that, thank you. That's, uh, uh, this is what I have taught. Mm. Uh, and this is what I <coughs> have not taught. But it doesn't imply not but implication mean implication is that i knew all this the implication was there yeah yeah so the some translators uh, uh use the implication rather than uh, uh, what you call uh, application yeah. rather than rather than the, the what you call uh, direct uh, literal. Uh, huh? literal, translation. literal translation so uh, that sometimes like when people edit books they put very important word somebody has edited in a book important word in the in the text and that person in order to show the difference that 
some, he has done something different, he put the important word at the footnote, and what is in the footnote he may put in the text. This situation is very much like that. Uh, akkata, the word the Buddha used was Akkata. Akkata means that what I have taught. Anyata, if he said Anyata, Onyata, uh, meaning what I have known. He did not use the word Nyata, he said Akkata. Akkata means uh, what I have taught. And uh, to, for him, the other word used is Akkatara. Akkatara means teacher. Uh, for I think therefore the translation uh, sometimes uh, can mislead some translations. Mm. In another place, in Mahaparnibbhan uh, Sutta, uh, in Diganikaya, uh, Buddha said, uh, when uh, uh, Venerable Ananda was uh, very sad and uh, depressed uh, over the thought that the Buddha was going to pass away, uh, Buddha said, Ananda, I have taught everything. I have taught everything that you ought to know. Follow it. I have not kept a teacher's secret, Guru Murti. Guru Murti means uh, uh, sometimes teachers don't teach everything. They keep something behind for, you know, emergency. <laughs> Just in case the student is going to show his, uh, that he is smart, then I show this thing that I hidden. <laughs> Buddha said, I have not kept any Guru Murti, uh, teacher's secret. I have taught you everything. So these two statements uh, seem to be uh, disagreeable. One statement says, uh, I have taught you only what is necessary. The other statement says, uh, I have taught everything. When we look at these two uh, statements uh, very closely, we can see actually both make the same meaning. That means, I have taught what is necessary. And in the other statement, he said, I have taught everything that you want to know for your own liberation. Uh, Perhaps uh, this, these two statements are very, very important in understanding his teaching. Yes, mm, I have a question about the way that the, the Buddha regarded his teachers, or lack of, and the fact that the Buddha has asked, has told people that 
we should venerate our teachers, that we should respect and honor our teachers without having making distinctions uh, as to whether or not they are fully enlightened. And you have said that he acknowledged that there were no teachers for him, but there were people who must have, in, in his last lifetime, who were in a role as teachers, even though they perhaps didn't take him all the way. Does he say anything about these teachers? Or yeah, yeah. <laughs> does he question. honor them? Yes, very good question. You know, as soon as he attained enlightenment, he, he, he remembered his uh, former teachers, like Kalarka, Rama, Uddhakaramputta, uh, Vishwamitra, and so forth. He remembered and he thought, well, let me see them, let me teach them Dhamma. Then we reflected further. He saw all of them had passed away. They were no more alive. So they were his teachers up to a certain point. And all, he, he uh, uh, considered them to be his teachers up to the attainment of uh, mundane uh, jhanas. Where he did not have a teacher was when he attained enlightenment. For the attainment of enlightenment that Buddha attained, none of those teachers were able to give him instructions. And therefore when he said that I did not have teachers, what he meant was I did not have teachers to show me the path to attain enlightenment. I had teachers, in other words, who showed me a path to attain certain stages of enlightenment which everybody has, I mean which anybody can attain. But this is a very special uh, discovery. For this discovery I didn't find a teacher. Yes. Yeah. And I'll follow this up. Huh? And by implication, uh, in order for a person to become enlightened, uh, you must be able to do it without a teacher by yourself. Not necessarily, not must. Mm -hmm. uh, only uh, one who rediscovers the Dhamma, when that individual has completed his perfections, that particular individual can do it. Although others uh, wish to do that, wish to attain that state uh, prior to him. Probably there might have been many who wanted to, in, uh, in his time there were many religious teachers, religious, religious traditions, in fact 62 different traditions and six of uh, six very famous religious teachers uh, who were very prominent, uh, all attempted, tried very hard to attain it. Nobody could attain it. Of course it is a must, but they could not. And therefore uh, only one who has uh, completed the necessary and sufficient qualifications can attain it. And that was him. 
After that, once he realized it and rediscovered and proclaimed to the world, others were able to attain it. However, at the very attainment itself, uh, nobody can uh, uh, guide the person. Even the Buddha, as uh, we all know, he said, uh, You have to attain enlightenment, you have to do it by yourself. The Buddhas are just uh, teachers who just uh, pointing their fingers to the right direction. So in that respect, one does not need a teacher to hold by the hand and lead all the way right up to the last point. No. Thank you. Yes, uh, I have also a question about that. Uh, I understand that to, to become fully enlightened, it is very important that you have the necessary paramis in past lives. Mm -hmm. But about the Buddha, I also heard, but I don't heard it exactly how it is, that before he came to enlightenment, he practiced Samatha meditation. And so he reached the eight jnanas. Um, but he couldn't reach the full enlightenment because uh, it is not possible by Samatha meditation like other teachers in those days. So then he, in some way, he, he saw that he had to practice another kind of practice, and that was Vipassana meditation, the insight meditation. Mm -hmm. My question is, uh, at, at what time he began to practice that? Sometimes I read in a book he did it some weeks before his enlightenment, some at the evening of his enlightenment he began to practice Vipassana meditation. And another question is, is I also heard and read that he... Uh, he uh, memorized his uh, his uh, jnana, first jnana state when there was a plow fest, festival and that was also a very important point for him to come to enlightenment. How relate that to each other? In, the, in fact when I was mentioning the differences between Arahant and the Buddha I wanted to mention this, I forgot. Uh, since he has uh, completed his perfection, he was the only one who was able to uh, use his Samatha meditation and uh, switch on to Vipassana that night that he attained enlightenment. That night? That yeah. night when he attained enlightenment. And uh, in the first, night, first watch of the night, uh, he had... Uh, the knowledge of uh, previous existence is called Pubbenivasa Anusatinyana. And the second uh, watch, he gained the knowledge of uh, Chutupapatanyana, that means uh, the knowledge of knowing beings uh, dying and taking rebirth. In the third watch of the night, he had uh, uh, knowledge called Asavakayanana. Asavakay means uh, destruction of defilements. That is the Vipassana Jnana. That Vipassana Jnana came to him only at the last watch of that night. 
that last watch means from uh, 2 to 6. The night is divided into three watches from 6 to 10. First watch 10 to 2, second watch 2 to 6, the third watch. During that four hours of the morning of that night, that day, that night, he gained that wisdom. And uh, that is called Asavakya. Asavakya means uh, destruction, defilement. Along with the destruction of defilement, Buddha gained, without making any particular special effort, he gained all other supernatural powers. And that happened only to a Buddha. And Arahan, who wants to attain, who wants to gain various supernatural powers, has to practice some of the practice separately and gain it and then switch on to Vipassana or vice versa. But in his case, uh, it happened almost simultaneously. Yeah. Uh, my understanding was that the Buddha uh, vowed to become a Buddha several countless lifetimes before he actually became a Buddha. And right. he encountered the Pankara Buddha in his previous lifetime. And the Buddha always teaches perhaps Vipassana inside meditation that the Buddha when he was Sumedhu people must have heard the teachings already and that Sure, even he was almost ready to attain the first stage of uh, sainthood at the time when he met the Dipankar Buddha. And surely Vipassana and Samatha, uh, Buddha's teaching uh, comprises, uh, comprises of both Samatha and Vipassana. And you can see it in uh, all, uh, almost all the sutras. In fact, this particular sutra I mentioned, uh, Mahasatipatthana Sutra, I don't know whether I mentioned it or not. I did mention this morning. Uh, the core of Vipassana meditation is called Mahasatipatthana Sutra. That sutra has uh, <coughs> uh, directions for, for attaining both Samatha and Vipassana. Any uh, meditation subject that we choose to practice, we can uh, gain vipassana from that subject. It, it may appear to be samatha meditation practice, samatha meditation subject, but eventually that particular subject uh, can, uh, the practice of that particular subject can lead to the attainment of vipassana. So the attainment of vipassana is uh, an extension of Samatha meditation in one case. On the other hand, uh, one can attain vipassana uh, wisdom without practicing samatha. So, uh, uh, the Buddha all along uh, intuitively had this uh, vision of attaining vipassana, but uh, until that particular moment, it did not trigger in his mind. That moment it clicked and he attained it. He <laughs> that is why, you know, all alone he left teachers. He went to a teacher and studied and he said, something missing. And went to another teacher and studied and reached certain stage and said, something missing. And that intuition 
was in him because of his previous practice in samsara. And then when he left everybody and started practicing, that intuition again came to him and attained that state. You are right, in fact, in samsara he practiced and uh, met all these Buddhas and learned, and that wish, vision, that wisdom, uh, that intuition was deeply buried in his subconscious mind. And that is why it came up you know, over and over again when he met teachers. I don't know, but uh, hmm. something missing. <laughs> <laughs> curious about is when you say that samsara is beginningless and that we have had countless lifetimes in which to create these uh, asavas and anusayana. Um, why is it that, what I'm curious is in this figure of seven lifetimes, how is it that in seven lifetimes we can erase this beginningless time? You know, uh, you are all warming up now. <laughs> more and more good questions are coming up. Good question. 